Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Worry can become an overwhelming and destructive daily habit. Dale Carnegie famously said that our fatigue is often caused not by work, but by worry. It's a habit that is so easy to become accustomed to, and before we know it, it sucks the joy out of our life and leaves us feeling stuck. To help us get a better understanding of worry and how to choose a new path, we will be speaking to Amber Ray. Amber is the author of Choose Wonder Over Worry. I'm halfway through and she's an incredible writer. Uh, She was called a millennial motivator by Fortune and the Brene Brown of Wonder by Mind Body Green. Amber is an author, artist, and speaker whose work invites you to live your truth, befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. I'm thrilled that she's here. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. We were just joking that we met like seven years ago in New York. Yeah. It was a long time, and it's it's so amazing to see how your career has unfolded. And, um, and I mentioned it before, but I want to say it again. You really are an amazing writer. Um, Thank you. I really have been enjoying your book. And I, I want to start off by talking about worry because it's something that so many of us deal with, and I think we just get used to it. We think it's just part of life. Um, why is looking at worry and choosing a new path something that you're passionate about talking about? Because it was my own mess. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that our mess can be our message. And For years, I felt myself really caught up in this inner critic voice in my head and, you know, the voice saying, are you good enough? Can you do this? What will they think of you? What if everything goes wrong? And just, you know, on and on. And when that voice was ruling my life, I really played small. I didn't pursue the things that mattered. I didn't speak up. I didn't, you know, whether it was like telling someone I had feelings for them or making a career move, I found myself stifling in a lot of ways because of worry and anxiety and fear and doubt. And so that really led me to start to get curious about the role it was playing in my life and how I could break through. And you talk about two different kinds of worry, that there's a toxic worry and a useful worry. Can you explain the difference? Totally. And so, yeah, what I found is, you know, because for a long time I thought, well, if I can just become fearless or if I can make Mm. the worry go away or, you know, when the doubt, I can overcome it and and get rid of it, then I'll finally do the things that I want to do. But I couldn't have been more wrong because we have evolved as a species to have fear and worry as this biological response to danger. And it's really important that if we're standing too close to the edge of the mountain, that worry might be like, hey, back up, you could get hurt. Or if we're, you know, I always joke that if we're like swiping right on Tinder and some guy's like, hey, baby, come over right now, worry's <laughs> probably going to be like, that's a bad idea. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, worry in a lot of ways can actually be useful. Or we have a really big deadline next week and we haven't gotten started on a project that's important to us. Worry might be like, hey, I'm going to be loud and annoying because I want you to pay attention because this really matters. So worry when useful is something that's within our control 
and we can take productive action on it. But worry is toxic when it's those relentless, paralyzing, ruminating voices that spin and spin and spin and really prevent us from taking action. And often it's on the things that we can't control anyway. Yes. You know, I was just, as you were speaking, I was just thinking about that, that oftentimes when it becomes toxic, it's over things that we really have no power over. And I'm having that experience now, you know, being pregnant. It's like, I'm so used to to working on things and doing things, but I can't stop and concentrate on like on building a spinal cord. Like my body just does it on its own, but the right. lack of control leaves space for worry. Um, and I've been talking to a lot of other friends who've had this experience too. And so I've been looking at, at making sure that I'm catching myself because mm. we do think about things that we can't control. And I... Something I always think about is I have never in my life said, I am so happy. I worried so much about it. It was totally (laughs) worth it. Like even when that thing went bad, I never looked back and said, well, I'm happy I stressed out about that speaking engagement for two weeks. It was totally worth that worry. Um, So it's, yeah, it's definitely not worth it. But it also, because... Toxic worry happens when we can't control. I think there's a part of us that thinks, well, at least I'm doing something by worrying. You know, it kind of takes up our mind space. So if it's hard to just stop doing something. So if we're not worrying, but we want to do something instead to help us feel like we have more control, what are we choosing instead? We're choosing wonder. Though I want to build on what you just said because I love like so often like, you know, if someone says to you when you're in the middle of worrying, like, oh, don't worry, that's about the worst thing that we can hear. No, like it makes it worse. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, the choice became between worry or wonder. And I think of wonder as this like curious inner guy. So I think of worry and wonder also as, as like beings because so there's this ancient Greek religion called Helianism. And the religion believed or ancient Greeks believed that emotions would come visit you. And it was your job to feel them and let them go. And I think that's such a helpful perspective. Oh, worry is visiting me right now because I really care. And getting on stage, like you said, the speaking engagement, like getting on stage is really important and I want to do well. And knowing that I can just feel that and let it go. And or like anger is visiting me, anxiety is visiting me, whatever that is. But that it's always also a helpful perspective. And then knowing that there's always a choice point. Like I can buy into the story of like, you know, maybe if it's getting on stage, fearing people will judge me or I'll say the wrong thing or it won't go perfectly. Or I can consider and wonder about what else is possible. And I can lean into how I can express my truth and the thing that I really want to say and how I want to impact the audience. We always get to choose where we're directing our energy and thoughts. Yes, definitely. I don't know if this is true across the board, but I've definitely observed that. I notice as I get older and seeing people around me who are who are older than me, it's like the older you get, the more you realize maybe it's resiliency, knowing that no matter what happens, it'll pass. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that knowledge of emotions will pass. Emotions, you can feel them and then they'll pass. And events, mm-hmm. you experience them and they pass. And that kind of idea of just being open to the seasons of life and knowing that everything doesn't last forever seems to really be beneficial to help us move towards wonder instead of worry, to help us realize that uh, the toxic worry 
isn't being useful to us. Totally. And I, I love that. Like I have a worry storm coming right now and trusting that because what can happen is if all of a sudden we make that mean, oh no, something's wrong. Is something wrong with me? Are things going to go terrible? If we build on the feeling of worry, then it becomes this whole storyline that creates more anxiety and more fear. Yeah. But if we can remind ourselves like, oh, this is just a storm. It's going to pass. Again, worry and fear show up usually when we care and something's really important because worry and fear hate the unknown. So anytime we're doing something new, novel, interesting, meaningful, that's when it tends to be the loudest. And so just knowing like, oh, it's just indicating that I'm outside my comfort zone, that I'm trying something new. It's here. It's going to pass. I'm not going to jump into creating a story about it. Right. And we all experience it. That's. I, I want to loop back to what you said before, which um, is something that I've actually wrote about in, in my upcoming book as well, is this this knowledge of the way that we're wired and how mm-hmm. we all are wired to, it's easier to focus on the worry than the joyful stuff. And there's a very good reason for that. Because, you know, our our subconscious mind, its primary goal is to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And so the moment that I really got that, what it changed for me is it made me stop being wrong. So Mm -hmm. it made me stop judging myself, like I shouldn't worry, or I shouldn't feel this to, oh, this is how I'm wired. How can I address this? Totally. There's room for compassion. Totally. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. (laughs) So so we are getting a better understanding of worry, why it's something all of us experience. Talk to me about wonder. Yeah, wonder, you know, and and where a a lot of this idea came from is that, you know, we come into this world with so much wonder and curiosity and we have a sense of awe and discovery. And then we're really socialized and conditioned to worry more, not to mention that our brain is wired to worry and it can take over. And so wonder is, you know, both like who we were before we learned who to be. Wonder is that curious pull that we feel. It's the part of us that wants to speak our truth and really live in alignment with what we value. And I I love with, I love that you brought up compassion because I think of like, okay, so how do we actually act out wonder. What does wonder look like in action? And I talk about in the book, the three C's and it's courage, curiosity, and compassion, which really are, I think of like wonder sidekicks in a way. Mm -hmm. And courage is the part of us that, you know, thinks, wow, that's really scary. And I don't want to go there, but I'm going to go there anyway, because that's where I know I'm going to grow. And then there's curiosity that Let's say that like we feel off center or we have a repeating thought of like, you're not ready or good enough to do this. Curiosity is a part of us that pauses and thinks, wait, like, where did that belief come from? You know, let me investigate that. Is that actually true? And what else could be true? And how would I live if I actually believe that I was ready and I've always been worthy? And so, you know, what might happen if I pursue this? So curiosity is always like, you know, checking the truth of the stories that we tell ourselves. And then compassion, like you said, is that part of us that says, hey, you know, I was wired this way. It's okay. I'm human. I'm doing the best that I can. And all I can do is continue to show up. So when we live in courage, curiosity, and compassion, or have that be a part of how we live our lives, that's really when we're embodying and living in wonder. Right. And it seems to me that suddenly we're looking at our life and not saying, how do I fix myself? Or how do I get over this? But this is a way to navigate through life. 
Exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's a journey and it's, yeah, I think so many people are looking for problems to solve rather than like, you know, evolving and becoming the fullness of who they are. Right. When I started reading your book, I was really touched by your story and what motivated you to decide to look at life different, to not get caught up Mm. in the worry. Can you share a little bit about the motivation, the fuel that made you want to look at your life in a different way? Totally. So I lost my father when I was young. And a little backstory, he was a brilliant singer, songwriter. He was also a businessman. My mom claims he was the most brilliant man she'd ever met. And yet he was getting in his way a lot. Like he decided to follow his dream. His band was called Dreamer. He wanted to be this, you know, like famous musician. And yet he was very much in the era of sex, drugs, rock and roll. So, you know, I think cocaine was his drug of choice. And he, um, after a bachelor party, decided to get behind the wheel under the influence. And that led to his best friend's life ending as well as his own. Who was the Um, groom, which is so tragic. Yeah, so tragic. Who was getting married the next day. So he and what what ha- the thing about my dad though because so the accident happened when I was three and a few weeks before the accident one of my actually earliest memories I remember a phone call where I was at my grandmother's house his mom's house and the phone rang and I remember where I was standing in the kitchen and she handed me the phone and said it's your dad and I get on the phone with my dad and he's like you know know that no matter what. I'll always love you. I know I haven't been around, but know that I'll love you. And I like, I think back as an adult to that moment about like how he almost knew that Mm. like there was like some tragic unfolding that was going to happen. And it was so bizarre, but you know, he actually didn't pass right away. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt, got thrown to the backseat of the vehicle and was in a coma for a year, came out of the coma and basically was a vegetable and never regained full consciousness. But he didn't pass until I was 12. So like from three to 12, I like knew he sort of, you know, he was alive, but not alive. And like, you know, obviously absent from my life, couldn't play a real role. And so that just, you know, as that fundamental child development period just had me question and get, you know, question a lot. And I actually, you know, interestingly, I think I was more curious, like, you know, why did he end up this way? What happened? Um, And it was more heartbreaking that he was in this in-between space. And so I, I remember, you know, when he did, when he did pass, when I was 12 years old, I, I remember when my mom came in to tell me, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of relief and peace that he could finally pass on. And equally, I, I felt this sense of almost anger. It was like where I felt like he, you know, he had so much to give, but he got in his way. And I actually wrote in my journal that day, don't die with your gift still inside. And it felt like this rallying cry for me to really live out and express the fullness of myself and not to die like he did with all these gifts still inside. Um, And then, of course, it only, you know, later I realized that actually his death in a way was a gift and I was his gift. And so it was this whole, you know, whole full circle experience. Yeah, it was so powerful to read. And there's so many lessons from from your experience that you share. What I find really interesting as well is when we're looking at, as we're reflecting on our life and how much we worry and how much we hold ourselves back, there's something about looking at how short life is and how quickly life can change. 
which I think gives us this little push to to say to ourselves, I have to stop this. You mm-hmm. know, I, we don't have we don't know how much time we have left. I don't want to keep wasting it on worry and mm-hmm. doubt and holding ourselves back. So just remembering that we're mortal as well, I think is such a powerful motivator. Totally. And knowing that and, and what really like drove that point home, I remember years later, I wrote a book and this is probably in my mid twenties by um, Todd Henry called Die Empty. And he said that, you know, he asked like, where's the most valuable land in the world? And it wasn't the Middle East. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't all the places that we might think or the oil rigs of the Middle East. It was actually the graveyard because in the graveyard are buried all the unexpressed novels and businesses that never started or relationships that never blossomed or dreams that just never were realized. And that really like really landed for me. Yes, for sure. I think one of the biggest myths that so many of us have, I think all of us face this at different times, is this idea of I'm just not good enough. Mm -hmm. How do you address that voice that we so often hear that says, I'm just not good enough? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it helps first off to realize that we're all thinking that because I know for the longest time when I thought I'm just not good enough, I thought, oh, and I'm the only one who feels this way. Mm-hmm. And so remembering that it was Sir Ken Robinson who said that the greatest irony of human life is that we're afraid of failure and not being enough. And that's actually what connects us universally. And so knowing that, you know, at some point we all think I'm not enough, but that's actually, you know, the thread that makes us human. And also remembering, you know, good enough, like, what does that even mean? Where did that come from? Who told you that? Where did you begin to buy into that? Because that that myth of scarcity, if that's what's driving our lives, it's just going to have us chasing and chasing and chasing and searching outside of ourselves to fill this void of enoughness, which is never ending, when actually we were born worthy. Like, mm-hmm. we're all born worthy. We're all born enough. Yes, definitely. And I... I've tried to get better with myself of if I ever hear that voice to know that that's not a voice to make decisions from. Totally. Right? So like we hear the I'm not good enough and now my mind goes to I'm probably tired. (laughs) Right? Like that's the first thing is a lot of times like we just do that when we're just like tired like and we're struggling with something or something feels difficult or something didn't work out. And I think one of the, the worst things that we could do is be in the moment think this is real and then try to try to make a change from that place try to make a decision when usually when we feel that I'm not enough that's an invitation to for more self-care for the compassion that you talk about totally and the self-reflection it's like you can't push and make decisions and try to motivate yourself from that place this is when this work comes into play totally agree yeah and I love that. Like every time I'm not good enough com- comes up, wait, let me pause. Let me recenter. Let me, you know, invite some self-care because it's amazing what happens that if we get enough sleep, we do some self-care rituals, we eat well, and we start to feel great. Like we're in a, t- we'll be like, oh, I can't believe I was thinking that two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many times does that happen? Yes. Or it's like, I think we've all been in the position. Hopefully it happened to us once when we were younger and we don't do it anymore. But when we're angry, and we mm. write that email. Right. And we press send. And then afterwards, we look back and think, what was I thinking? And then we learn never write an email when you're angry. Totally. No- 
right? So it's like if you have that voice, like don't from that place, it's not a time to make a decision, or that's the time just to take care of yourself. Totally, and I find that too. Like I, I, I realized I was having a story that I have to urgently reply to every text message and email, and I was like mm. mis- miserable while I was doing it, and then I paused and caught myself, and I was like, is this really that urgent? No, I can totally respond to this tomorrow or later today. Why don't yes. I give myself a little bit of space? Definitely. I want to talk a bit because we it's so helpful to really understand worry and to recognize it. I want to get a better understanding of wonder. Mm-hmm. So you were sharing some, it, it seems to me that wonder is a place where we begin to ask ourselves questions. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Wonder I see both as like, it's, it's the investigative sidekick that questions, worries, disempowering stories. It's the curious guide that asks us life's big question. And ultimately, wonder is, is really the, 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 yeah, it's like that curious guide that's nudging us closer to who we are and what we value most. Hmm. So I see that it's almost like we're replacing criticism with curiosity. Yeah, that's definitely one of the ways that we can be in wonder. Right. And so how does, how do we bring, how do we invite wonder into our lives? Like, is there a a practice that we can do to get ourselves in this mindset when we feel like we're going off track with worry? So yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few. One of my favorite ones is I actually archetype and create characters out of my different worry voices. And I, so I know that it's like, a big part of my work is actually wondering about our worry because once we question the worry and we bring awareness to it, it can dissolve. And then that's when we actually release and step into the wonder of who we are, if that makes sense. Yes. And so, you know, like I, a lot of the work is like, so naming it to tame it. And if we can actually name the worry voice, so like my perfectionist, I think of as, um, her name is Grace, and she's a 30-something British woman that hails from London. <laughs> and if I'm like in the wonder of the, cre- of the creative process, writing an article, and all of a sudden Grace is like, this is terrible, and everyone's going to hate it, and they're going to judge you, um, the wonder in me can be like, you know, oh, hey, what's up, Grace? I see you hanging out here. Like, is, it th- is there something that you want me to know? And Grace will be like, I just want this to be really good. And then, you know, me in my sense of wonder can be like, oh, great. Yeah, we have the same end goal. Totally want high quality as well. But listen, I need a little bit of space to get messy before I can create something good. So I'm going to need you to like give me a little bit of space. And so it's this like, so a lot of my work is this process of like creating characters around these different parts of ourselves so that we can converse and negotiate with them. Yeah. And that and that creates this sense of wonder and allows us to like, you know, do and create what we're here to do. Yes. It reminds me this was like years ago in New York. I was out to lunch with my friend Heidi Christopher, who's the she's the yoga person for Shape. So okay. for Shape magazine. So she's obviously in great shape. She's a yoga instructor and um we were having this conversation about how it's so hard to get. We were at that time struggling with this voice that would always just tell us that we were just too fat and not pretty enough. Mm. Um, it's a very, we felt it a lot in New York, being women in New York City at the time. Like it just felt like there was so much emphasis on our looks. And we were having this conversation about how we can worry and stop ourselves um, and how it's, we're, in those moments, it's like we're so detached from reality. It's really just our fear. 
So over, we were just drinking coffee, and I was like, you know, when I think of the voice, I think of this, like, fat executive with a cigar (laughs) who, like, just judges women. Yes. (laughs) And she laughed, and I was like, you know what? And I never, we never, like, turned this into anything. This was, like, two girlfriends chatting. But I was like, well, why don't we just name it the executive? And it just became our thing. So whenever we would talk about something um, and felt a little insecure, we would be like, well, is that the truth? Is that really how you feel? Or is that the executive? And I'm so happy that you're teaching this because I guess this is a thing. And I should do it with more voices. But I like that idea that when we have this specific criticism, Um, calling it the executive almost like recognize that this is like a cultural thing that almost is it's not me right it's this thing I've let in that I'm listening to and that detachment can be really helpful exactly and it gives you space so it's you you get distanced from a voice in your head that you think is you to being able to label it as something that you can have distance from and, and like you said be like wait is this, is this something that is really me or is this something that I decided to buy into? Right. I love so like, that. I have like anxious Annie. I have, you know, I have my, I have two inner children, Ella and Ting. I actually have Mama Jenny, who's like my big cheerleader. So I have different, like a full spectrum of voices that I can converse and dialogue with, like ask for guidance from, or, you know, if anxiety is high or my perfectionist is really loud, I can be like, oh, that's just grace. And she, of course, like wants it to be perfect before I've even written the essay yet. (laughs) Yes. And I know that you're really into journaling. Do you use this practice with your journal? Yeah. So a big, um, and this, so it can happen in two ways because some people actually don't thrive through or they don't find journaling as the right technique for them. But either my favorite technique is to pull out my journal to like, it's like as if I'm having a conversation back and forth with the character or there's actually a exercise and this comes from the world of psychotherapy called two chairs. And so you can sit in one chair and be like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to embody grace and like say what grace has to say. And then you can flip into the other chair and either be wonder or your true self, like, or whatever resonates for you and, and then respond. And then you can go back and forth until you like negotiate or get to a point of clarity. Right. I love that. Um, Amber, you are one of the most creative people I know and very talented at that. When it comes to creativity, I, I think it's safe to assume that wonder is a big part of that. How do you get yourself into, when you know you want to do something creative or be open to more creativity, is there anything that you do to get yourself in that mindset? For me, it's really about rituals. And, you know, I like, I love to pull the tarot card, light the candle, write in my journal how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, so much of my creativity, Julia Cameron said something in the book, The Artist's Way, that really landed for me. She said, eavesdrop, don't invent. And oftentimes, when we think of creativity, we might think we need to like make something that doesn't exist or reach and strive to make something when really often creativity is like lurking right there and always inviting you to play with it. And so, so much of my creative process begins with like, what thoughts have I been thinking? What feelings have I been having? You know, like, I mean, my book came through all my voices talking to me and then I just built out those voices into these different chapters. (laughs) Right. And so... Um, I'm always curious, like an artist came to me and she's told me, you know, I'm feeling so defeated. You know, I keep getting rejected. And I was like, great. Have you created the rejection painting yet? 
<laughs> and so it's like, how can we channel whatever our life experiences, whatever we're going through into and use that as fuel for what we create? I love that. I love that. Well, Amber, there's two questions that I'd love to ask you that I ask all guests. Uh, and the first one is, is there something in your life that when it happened, it felt really horrible, but it ended up becoming a big blessing? Ooh, definitely. Um, so many. I'd say the first thing first thing that came to mind is that when I started my first company many years ago, um, it was this program called the Bold Academy, and it was this life accelerator program. And halfway through the first program, we ran out of money, like $30,000 short, based on miscommunication and miscalculations between my co-founder and I. And we had like 12 people working for us, and it was just like, what are we going to do? How are like We're in mid-program. And of course, it was like up to that point, one of the like most humiliating and shameful things that had ever happened. And at the same time, it pushed me to, I ended up borrowing money from friends, um, having really hard conversations with, you know, certain employees and it, and it let in, you know, in some of those conversations didn't happen until years later, but it really propelled me into a kind of growth that I didn't know I was ready for and invited me to, yeah, lean into discomfort and to make asks that, that would really help me develop a skill set around what it really takes to be an entrepreneur and to create something. So I'd say, you know, lean into that discomfort and, and, and move through it. Right. Wonderful. And the, the last question, which is a bit more playful, if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Oh, man. I love all the animals. <laughs> the first one that pops in your head. If today you could be yeah. any animal. A dolphin, just because I want to like play with other dolphins in the ocean. <laughs> They're great. There is a lot of magic around dolphins. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, Amber, how do we stay in touch with you and just learn more about your work? So I'm a huge fan of Instagram. I have a lot have a lot of art and writing up there. So I'm Hey Amber Ray on Instagram. And I would love to hear from you. It always means so much to hear what landed. So if there's something from this conversation that really resonated, comment, send me a message. Would love to hear from you. And then my blog is hey or my blog is amberray.com. And then choosewonder.com is where you can find out about everything related to the book. Wonderful. Amber, thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you. So much fun. 